You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading for this worship service this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her six months. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Our text for this morning's sermon, as probably some of you could predict, is taken from Luke chapter 2, the verses 1 to 7, as well as verse 12 and verse 16. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And then verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, today is Christmas Day. And that means you can say that today represents the climax of the gospel. Today represents one of history's central moments. Today announces the birth of the Messiah, the hope of the ages. And yet, when you examine it the way it really happened, it is all rather unusual. I dare say none of us would ever have written the script this way. We would never have predicted any of this. We could not even have imagined it. Why we, we would have done it differently. We would have had the cameras ready to roll. Bells would be ringing, dignitaries would be lined up, parades would be planned, fireworks would light the sky, press conferences would be called, and in addition we would have found the finest castle, looked for the best hospital, set up the nicest nursery, and placed it in the fanciest crib. In short, we would have pulled out all the stops. But that's not God's way. He does it so differently, so surprisingly. Indeed, he causes it all to happen in a rather simple, sober, and startling manner. And let's consider how God does it. I preached to you on the theme from palace to manger. And we'll deal with a number of things. First of all, a strange cast of characters, as well as an unusual set of circumstances, and finally, an unexpected turn of events. Well, beloved, the first thing that we need to have an eye for this Christmas morning is the fact that Christmas gives us a rather strange cast of characters, if you will. You can go through your text and you can meet them. First, there is Caesar Augustus. In other words, for openers, we are introduced to the most important man in the world of his day. No one ranks higher than him. He's the leading ruler, the greatest general, has the mightiest empire, is worshipped by millions of people, And in many ways, it has to be said, he's a most remarkable man. Before he came to power, there was anarchy and unrest and strife everywhere around the Mediterranean. 
But over time, he won battle after battle, brought peace, and overhauled an empire. And so, beloved, when this remarkable birth happens, Augustus is busy in Rome, sitting, no doubt, on one of his many thrones. And from there, he is issuing proclamation after proclamation. The nations are being told to do this as well as to do that. It's all supposed to lead to better government, greater efficiency, and improved functioning. Everyone knows that in Rome and from Rome, Caesar Augustus rules the world. But then from Rome, you'll notice our text moves probably, we can't be certain, but probably to Damascus. And that's where Quirinius, full name Publius Sulpulcus Quirinius, governs the province of Syria, Israel included. He's actually nothing more than an extension of Caesar Augustus, someone who does his bidding and enforces all of his orders. And he's not really important except perhaps for some historical data and for some political reasons. And after him, you'll notice, there comes Joseph. Who is this Joseph? Luke 1, 27 tells us that he's an engaged man and he is a descendant of King David. That's all we learn about him from chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. And now here in Luke 2, we do not learn a lot more, except to say that he's living in Nazareth, a town in the northern region of Galilee. And in addition, we are told that he has to get a move on, for he needs to go to Bethlehem, his ancestral home, and get registered. But he has a problem. A serious problem. His wife-to-be is expecting. And of course, he could leave her behind with family and friends. It would appear from what we read in Luke chapter 1 that she has some kind of a support network back in Nazareth. But Joseph doesn't leave her in Nazareth. He takes her along. And now you may wonder about that. What man takes a lady along who is in such a state? There's a saying that's been around for a long time, he who loves his wife leaves her home. And surely that goes double, if not triple, for Joseph. He who loves his expectant wife surely, certainly leaves her home. But not Joseph. He drags her along. He may have had no choice in the matter, as we shall soon consider, and even without that, he may still have taken her along. And why? Well, because you and I need to understand he is a man under divine orders. We learn that not from Luke's account, but from Matthew and what he tells us. For it is Matthew who recounts that somehow Joseph discovered that his wife-to-be was expecting and he had resolved in his mind and heart to divorce her. 
and to do it quietly because he doesn't want to bring added embarrassment to her. Obviously, engagements in those days were a lot more involved and demanding than today. You needed a divorce in those days to get unengaged. But then as Joseph is struggling with all of this, he gets visited not by a neighbor or by a family member, but believe it or not, by an angel. A heavenly messenger comes knocking on his door and tells him not to divorce. And instead he's told about a very special conception, a very special child, a very special birth. And as well, he's told about his own role and responsibility in all of this. He's to step up to the plate. He's to claim the baby as his own. And he's to name him. In short, he's to give his name and his ancestral rights as being of the house and line of David to this child of Mary. So you can see that Joseph plays a rather central role here. Only have you ever noticed that Joseph is never recorded as saying even a single word? Everybody else in the Christmas narrative is speaking, composing, reciting, singing and praising angels, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, shepherds, wise men, Simeon and Anna. But not Joseph. Some people call him the forgotten man of Christmas. Perhaps we should really call him the silent man of Christmas. But then if there is Augustus, Quirinius, Joseph, there is also Mary. And she goes along with Joseph to Bethlehem. And who is she? Well, she's obviously a young lady who is wise beyond her years and very believing. She's also a virgin. She's related to Elizabeth. And in addition, she's expecting. Only she is expecting from and by the Holy Spirit. And, of course, that tells you and I right away that this is a very, very unusual kind of pregnancy. Some would say, and you can read that in the newspapers, it's all myth, it's all unbelievable, it didn't happen this way. That's simply the church reconstructing and making up things and giving an added gloss to the whole business. But we who believe the scriptures and the power of God say, no, this is true. We don't understand it, but we do believe it. And so her state is most unusual, but not only is it unusual, it's also very necessary. For the one that she is carrying in her body is none other than the Messiah, the Son of God, the hope of Israel, as well as the hope of the world. But for him to be both the hope and the help of the world, he needs to be sinless, spotless, utterly holy and unstained. 
For him to have been born in the normal way would have been the way of corruption, of imperfection, of original sin and of all flesh. And so God creates a new way. A new way through Mary. A new way by the agency of the Holy Spirit. And the result, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. But there is more for as well the Lord will give, it said, the throne of his father David to him. One reason for going along to Bethlehem with Joseph has to do with the fact that Mary knew that this child was going to be a son of David. And where should the greatest son of David be born? Why, in David's royal city in Bethlehem. You see, she undertakes the most unusual journey for a most unusual son. And so it's no accident that our text states that while she was there, the time came for the baby to be born. And that brings us to the fifth person in our text. It's a baby. It's a firstborn baby. It's a son baby. And maybe... Just maybe that's the greatest surprise of all. Again, if we were planning this, we would have had the Savior of the world appear on the scene of history, fully grown, mature, strong, able. And there would have been none of this baby stuff. For let's be honest, babies are cute, And cuddly, we all love them, but they are rather helpless, defenseless, and if you'll pardon the expression, kind of useless. You know, for a time, they're utterly dependent. They can't do anything on their own. They eat, they fill their diaper, and they sleep, and they do this over and over again for months on end. Not exactly the kind of stuff that will save the world. So why does God do it this way? Couldn't he have picked a better way? Couldn't he have picked a more mature way? No, beloved, what we also need to understand is that God's ways are best. Again, even when we don't understand them, grasp them, or even appreciate them, they are best. Because in Him resides all the wisdom and all the insight and all the understanding. And so this is best. And it's especially best when it comes to us. And our redemption. For God's intention is to save us. To save us as his people, as his children, as his chosen ones. And to do that, 
We need a complete Savior. A Savior who is as fully clothed with our humanity as he is with God's divinity. It's fitting that when the Savior comes, he comes in the normal human way of birth and infancy, toddlerhood, teenager, an adult. He must come as man if he's going to save man. He must come as us, for us, if he is going to ransom us. But then, beloved, if Luke 2 introduces us to a strange cast of characters, characters between quotation marks, it also presents us with an unusual set circumstances. And what do I mean? Well, first of all, there is this matter of the census. Far away in one of his palaces in Rome, Caesar Augustus issues a decree, a decree for a census to be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, there is both agreement as well as disagreement about this census. First, there is Agreement that the Romans were census happy. They were forever ordering censuses to be taken here and there, locally, regionally, big and small. And why were they forever into the business of having a census? Well, because they were proud. They wanted to know exactly as to how many people they ruled and reigned over. They loved watching the statistics of the empire climb up and up and up. In addition, the Romans were also very organized. They wanted to know just how many people lived in a certain area, how many people were under their thumb for the purposes of taxation as well as military conscription. And so they counted, and they counted, and they planned, and they planned, and they organized, and they organized. But then there is also disagreement here as to the timing and the extent of this census while Quirinius was governor of Syria. We're not going to go into all of the details except to say that probably history and archaeology will in the future shed even more light on all of this. But what we will say is that this census was necessary to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem, away from Nazareth. Now, with all due respects to Nazareth, it was not the place ordained for this special birth. That honor belonged, as you can read in the book of Malachi, to Bethlehem, a place in Ephrathah. And now you see how God makes sure it's going to happen in Bethlehem. Everybody thinks Caesar Augustus is calling all the shots. He's doing all the decreeing. But here you see in this part of Scripture that actually, really, it is God who is doing it all through him. 
In the eyes of the world, he may be a big shot, maybe the biggest shot of them all, but in the eyes of God, Caesar Augustus is nothing more than an instrument. A human instrument. Someone whom God uses to make sure that his scriptures and his promises come to fulfillment. And so behind Caesar... And behind his decree, you and I need to see God. And indeed, I would say to you, that's kind of a principle throughout history. Behind all the movers and the shakers in this planet, all of the events and all of the different developments, no matter how big or how small, you and I need to continue to see God. Don't get confused. Realize who it is who's really reigning and actually ruling and ordaining all things. But then if there's a census here, there's also a journey. We tend to gloss over that part of the text. We hop in our cars and we think nothing of traveling a hundred miles or a couple of hundred kilometers. But, you know, if you have no car and if you really have no highway to speak of and no McDonald's on the way to stop in at, you tend to think twice. It's a long, long way from Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem in the south on foot or for that matter, on the back of a mule or a donkey or a camel. And yet they make the effort. Joseph and Mary make the effort not for sentimental reasons. They make it not even in the first place because the Romans tell them to. They make it because they know. This is God's will. This child has to be born elsewhere. So off they go, mile after mile, up one hill and down another, through a valley, into another valley, day after day. It all highlights the fact that redemption never comes without obedience. You need to obey God to secure the redemption of his people. And so there is a census here, there is an arduous journey, there's also a a cold, ice-cold welcome. Again, we wouldn't have planned it this way, we would have had the mayor and the town council and all the bigwigs in Bethlehem come out to greet them as they approach the town. And we would have set aside the best hotel and the best room and the place for them. Well, there's none of that. As far as we know, no one welcomes them. No one knows they're even coming. Why, when they come, they can't even find a room. The no vacancy sign is out of everywhere in Bethlehem. And in the end, they have to make do in, who knows, maybe a cave or a shed or a barn, 
They find shelter, but that's about it. And so why? Why this? Why does God lead it this way? Well, you can say it's a preview. It's a preview of the things to come. For later on, we'll be told that he came to his own. But his own received him not. You know, at Christmas, people get all mushy and sentimental about the birth of a baby, but they forget the real circumstances. No fellow Jew is there to greet them. There's no room for them. There's no room in any of our hearts, as a matter of fact, for him. Unless God creates that room through the power of his Holy Spirit. It's only through the power of the Spirit that you and I are able to sing. For unto us a child is born. And to us a son is given. There is one more aspect of our text to consider this morning, and that is the unexpected turn of events. For one, there is the birth. Our text says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Was it all according to plan? You get the sense from the Bible text that all of this kind of happened too soon? Of course, the baby is going to be born in Bethlehem. We know that. But, but you know, first of all, we're going to have a time in which we can kind of settle in, find a place to live, make it cozy and comfortable, and then wait for the contractions finally to begin. But none of that seems to happen that way. They no sooner get to Bethlehem and it is birthing time. In some ways, this appears to have been a rather sudden birth. At the same time, it's also a lonely birth. Let's face it, as far as we know, there's no nurses hovering around. There's no family outside waiting. There's no friends expecting an email. No, it's just Joseph and Mary. And then we can't even be sure as to just how Joseph is doing. For notice, if you ever notice that our text attributes everything that happens next to Mary. Of course, Mary gives birth. Mary wraps him in cloths. Mary lays him in a manger. Places him in his bed. Have you ever asked yourself, what's Joseph doing? Is he doing anything? Or is he fainting? No matter how you look at it, it's a lonely business. But there's more for to a surprising birth and a lonely birth. It's also this aspect, a humble birth. 
Our text states that after Jesus was born, Mary wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. His first bed is a feeding trough for animals. There is no crib. There is no lace. There is no bassinet. There is no music. There's only poverty and humility. Indeed, you can say there's only the sign of the manger. Yes, the manger becomes a sign. You know, soon the shepherds are going to hear about this remarkable birth and the angel's going to tell them you got to go to Bethlehem and you got to look for a newborn baby. Well, that's fine. How are you going to find a newborn baby in, in a town like Bethlehem? Well, you're going to look for a baby who's lying in a manger. And so off they go and what do they find? It says in verse 16, they found Mary and Joseph... And the baby was lying in the manger. Why the manger? I suspect it's to prevent us from completely romanticizing and sentimentalizing the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Of course, we try anyway. We try to make this cave or stable or shed or barn appealing. We dress it up with a few cows, some goats, perhaps a donkey or a camel. I've even heard of an elephant. We deck it out with lights and bells and ornaments and foil. We make it all so warm and cozy and fuzzy and quaint. But not really. I don't want to prick your romantic balloons, but the actual fact is the birth of our Savior is not only sudden, lonely, but it's, it's a humble affair. And you can see that by the kind of, of visitors that come marching in. First, there are shepherds, not exactly the most outstanding citizens in Bethlehem, if you look at the reputation they had in those days. And later on, there are a bunch of foreigners who probably can't even communicate with them. In other words, no family, no dignitaries, no countrymen, no local citizens, no fellow Jews. What a birth. And yet, it's the most blessed birth. Because you see, all of this lowliness is a reminder to us that God has given to us a Savior who really, truly knows us, understands us, and comes down to our level. He knows what poverty is all about. He knows what sickness can do. He knows how challenging it can be to grow up from an infant to a teenager and finally to an adult. 
He knows what kind of struggles and challenges and burdens life can throw at you. You see, we have a Savior who knows the depths. Because he was born in the depths. And what a great relief and encouragement that is. I know for many of you, this is a happy time of year. But for others among us, there are burdens. Loved ones who are sick, empty places around the table that don't go away. Children who go astray and walk away from the Lord. Jobs that are not there. Businesses that isn't happening. Conflicts that never seem to get resolved. Christmas can be a really tough and painful time of year. In the words of Charles Dickens, it can be the best of times and it can be the worst of times. But then look, look at the manger and realize that you and I have a Savior who knows all about it. He came the hard way so that he might help us on the hard ways of this life. He came the low way, so that ultimately he might bring us onto the highway. He came the humble way, that he might one day set us on the road to glory. Beloved, be like the shepherds who heard the message. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And get it right. Of them, it says, the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.